This podcast is brought to you by Uni Pizza Ovens, the world's number one pizza oven brand. Welcome to the Pizza Pod Party. With Arthur Bavino and Alfred Schultz. On today's show... We have former Simpsons showrunner and current fast food critic, Bill Oakley. We have pizza news, and our topic is pizza portfolio. Well, hello. Busy, busy, busy week, my friend. I'm Alfred Schultz, and welcome to the Pizza Party Pal. And I'm Arthur Bovino of NYC Best Pizza. I'm the head of pizza content for Uni Pizza Ovens, and I have made so many Detroit-style pizzas over the last week, Alfred, trying to perfect my process for sky-high Frico crust that I found myself looking around in frustration for the tallest one around someone else had made in order to jump off of it. You could say I was about to freak out. Well, as long as they're tasty. They were tasty, but it was a lot of testing. It was like mozzarella and jack, mozzarella oh, and brick, boo-hoo. mozzarella. And it was like trying to do all these combinations and understanding which cheeses work best and which flowers work best. And the time I was just, I was just Oh, about, poor baby was, ate too yes. much pizza. Poor baby. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a lot to get through. Very long interview. Our guest, Bill Oakley, was incredibly generous with his time. And this is a really talented, uh, another sort of Hollywood heavyweight, I would call him. We'll get into that in a second, um, but this episode's going to have a lot of fun things. It's Simpsons, it's fast food, obviously pizza, but we also have to talk about this insane hit piece that came out in PMQ, Pizza Magazine Quarterly, about this program. I am furious over this, Arthur. I mean, the one that was titled Love Talking Pizza, so do the celebrity guests on this podcast. Our lawyers are working round the clock to shut this thing down. I mean, this is yellow journalism at its worst. I can't believe it. Great fun piece uh, from rock stars to actors and comedians. Alfred Schultz and Arthur Bovino have hosted an impressive list of guests on the Pizza Pod Party. Thank you, Charlie uh, Pogacar. I'm probably butchering that. And editor-in-chief Rick Heinem for the feature. It was a lot of fun. I loved how they shouted out some of our favorite moments, but also highlighted uh, the more serious moments that have bubbled up on the show. I do not have a booming voice. That is absolute <laughs> slander, and I will not. You've got take a great voice for radio. I never understand how you're always, you're oh, always man. like so self-deprecating about your voice because you've never had to deal with live callers that just destroyed me for my voice for a very long time. But no, it is an awesome article. You can check out our various social medias. Uh, we have links to the article, and it, it, it's fantastic. So so nice of them to include us. And I'm just sad that uh, this is a throwback to our episode with Christian Finnegan. I'm just sad we didn't do the Yoko and John Lennon pose for the photo shoot. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Putting on my brand hat for a second, there was a nice shout out to our sponsor, Uni Pizza Ovens, whose commitment to quality, I think we try to keep in mind with the caliber of guests we connect with and bring you weekly. And I also just want to say thank you to the photographer, Ryan John Lee. Uh, You can find his portfolio on ryanjohnlee.com. I've known Ryan for a good 15 years or so, going back to my days at Always Hungry uh, before I joined the Daily Meal. So uh, thanks, Ryan, for some great photos. All right, we're going to get to our interview with the great Bill Oakley in a second. But real quick, I just want to uh, quick behind the scenes tale uh, the how we got Bill's because my friend Cliff 
posted on Bill Oakley's Instagram telling him he should come on the Pizza Pod party. And I love it. Bill basically immediately agreed. And then I was able to uh, get his contact info and reach out to him. That was really cool. If you have a, a memory of an old episode, Cliff also did the exact same thing with comedian uh, Dave Hill. And Way to go, Cliff. I love recording an episode. Our, our, like major booking talent here. Yeah. And we are not paying him and never will. Uh, in fact, I'm trying to have him pay us for this. But so if you have guests out there that you think we should have on the show, reach out to them and then let us know about it. So I just wanted to make sure that was clear for everybody. Thank you very much, Cliff. He's a Thanks, regular listen, listener to this program. And so, yeah, we'll be back after this with one of the legends of comedy writing television history bill oakley former showrunner at the simpsons this guy worked at the meet the greatest peak simpsons period ever bill oakley talking pizza and everything else after this uni pizza ovens are excited to introduce their first indoor and outdoor pizza oven univolt 12 Uni's first all-electric oven, Volt, offers maximum versatility and performance in a beautiful modern design. Whatever the season and in any weather, you can make great pizza. Univolt is so convenient and easy to use. Just plug it in and you're ready to go. Not only does this oven look great, but it reaches 850 degrees and cooks pizza in just 90 seconds. To learn more, visit uni.com. That's O-O-N-I dot com. Today. It's the Pizza Pod Party special guest. Bill Oakley is an Emmy Award-winning TV writer and producer. He famously wrote for The Simpsons from Season 3 to Season 9. He was showrunner for Season 7 and 8. Bill has written for Futurama, The Cleveland Show, and Portlandia, to name a few. He is co-executive producer for Netflix's Disenchantment, and currently he reviews fast food restaurants on Twitter and Instagram. Sign up to be a member of his steamed ham society. Thrilled to have Bill Oakley on the show. Follow Bill on Instagram and Twitter at that Bill Oakley. Do yourself a favor. Do that. Signed up to be a member of the steamed ham society and more homework for you. Make sure you watch the steamed hams Simpsons bit that he wrote. It is a bit from like the mid nineties. And it's a quick bit that was always hilarious, but it has gotten like, it has a life of its own at this point, And it's one of the most discussed and analyzed Simpsons bits of all time. It is absolutely hysterical. It's um, principal Skinner uh, fumbling around the kitchen, trying to make a lunch for superintendent Chalmers. And it is absolutely hysterical. So we got into that, but it's kind of too convoluted to uh, discuss in full. So watch that on YouTube or wherever you can. We are so lucky to have a talent like this on the show because Bill Oakley wrote for The Simpsons. And that is arguably what? One of the top three shows ever at their peak moment for sure. It's almost like having a member of the Beatles on. I'm being serious when I say that, because what other entities are as critically acclaimed and universally accepted as like the heights of their field? Uh, you got the Beatles, you got the Sopranos, you got Simpsons, Michael Jordan. What else? Arthur, what else? I'm asking you. Uh, Alfred. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm willing to get on this train with you and ride it. That's good. Do you want me to argue with you about this? No, no, okay. we don't have we don't have any any time to waste. Bill Oakley and the Pizza Pod Party. Awesome. 
I've been to Portland, Oregon twice, and I actually went to the same pizza place both times, kind of just by accident. But Old Town Pizza, I don't remember what the pizza tastes like. It was fine. I really liked the ambiance, and I and I loved that area. I love sort of old sections of town and places like Old Town anywhere makes me happy. So I liked that place. Do you have an opinion about that place? That's my only pizza connection to Oregon. I don't think I've ever even heard of that place. Is it still in business? It's still open. Is it called Old Town Pizza? Yeah, and brewery. I've never, I don't think I've ever been, I certainly haven't been there. I don't think I've actually even ever heard of it. (laughs) So sorry, (laughs) I can't be more helpful. But I do, I mean, I know a lot about the Portland pizza. So we have a, as I'm sure you have heard, uh, we were pronounced the best city in America for pizza by some- Modernist pizza. on, On the topic. And we have an immense number of different types of styles of pizza, all being done excellently. That place I have never heard of, but I will check it out now that you mention it. I think it's more ambiance than maybe the type of pizza it was. Because, again, I don't remember the pizza. It was fine. But it was a really cool ambiance. Very old school. And I remember they kept on talking about how haunted the building was. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, no, there's some of those buildings have, like, the, the Shanghai tunnels and stuff. That, yes, it's right uh, by defined there. Portland yes. back in the day, yeah. yeah I think cool. that's why, because I did the tunnel tour, and that's why uh, we uh, went there. But uh, uh, what, what made you gravitate to Portland? Because I know you're from Maryland, uh, lived in California. Now you're in uh, Portland, Oregon. Yeah, we lived in LA uh, for about 20 years. And it was finally when we had our third kid, we were like, this is not sustainable <laughs> in Los Angeles, man. Like just to driving the kids, driving three different kids to three different places takes all day. And I'm not kidding about that. Yeah. Plus, if you want to send them to a private school, get ready to pay $200,000 in after tax money and screw that stuff. So we wanted to find a place that had good public schools, had a good quality of life. I mean, Portland has had its ups and downs over the years, but when we moved here, you could walk, I mean, the kids could walk to the grocery store by themselves when they were seven and things like that. It was very much like an old fashioned kind of place. And so also I can commute to LA as necessary. You know, I can fly down in the morning and come back at night. Um, And it's become increasingly less necessary, obviously, over the past five years due to, you know, the pandemic and Zoom and all that stuff. I can fly to LA in less time than it took to drive to, you know, to Burbank. And, and so it was, it was pretty much like, you know, it was our choice. It was a lifestyle choice, but now those kids are almost all grown. So, you know, like, I don't know, I, we still like living here, but I don't like the lack of sunlight in the winter. It drives sure. me bananas. <laughs> That's my only complaint really. Alfred was asking you about some of the pizza in Portland. I mean, there are, and you were mentioning that it was uh, named, you know, one of the best, if not the best pizza cities in the country. Do you have an opinion among Ken's Artisan, Nostrana, A Pizza Skulls, Lovely's 5050, these very famous, uh, well-respected places by people across the country of those, of those spots? Or do you have another one? I mean, we could spend the whole podcast talking about just Portland and just within a few blocks from me. But of those, the ones you listed, I have not been to several of them. I have my favorite of the ones you just spoke of is a Pizza Shoals, which yeah. is, uh, you know, often listed as the best pizza place in town. Uh, and the other ones I have been like, I have personal preferences regarding pizza, which we will get into later. But um, a pizza, of the ones you just listed, a pizza shoals is by far my favorite. But that said, the thing about Portland that I think has gotten this attention is because it's like that we have so many different styles here done so well. It's not just like we have New Haven style pizza and there's 80 different places. We have 11 different styles of pizza all being done by seven different places, and many of them doing it at you know, a spectacular level. So we have places that do Detroit pizza. Uh, we have places that do, um, 
you New York pizza. We have places to do Chicago pizza and so forth. And I have preferences among, I have favorites amongst all of those. Yes. You have a great guide to eating in Portland and eater. Uh, that is definitely a, a cool little uh, document that I think people can use if they're coming to visit or if they're even living in uh, Portland. And we're gonna, we're gonna get into your sort of transformation to being this expert on fast food and sort of uh, chain restaurants. But I also want to I want to get back to your childhood and this sort of like yeah. I should therapy. also just insert here, by the way. I know we'll get into this later. My food club has a guide to dining in Portland, which is, in my opinion, superior to the one provided by Eater. We can get into that later. <laughs> well, I'm we in the back the... pocket of Eater, so they throw <laughs> okay. a lot of money at me. So I ha- I'm going to have to edit out what you said. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, no, I, I wish I was in the back pocket of anybody, but I'm not. We're um, all in this game for the immense amounts of money that that you can make in the in the podcasting <laughs> world. Oh man, absolutely. Uh, all right. So your childhood. Let's get real serious here. Maryland. Now we had Brian Stelter, uh, journalist on, and he's from Maryland, and he talked highly about Lido's. And yeah, Lido's is the Maryland style pizza, right? No, in fact, that's one of the things that I want I want to get into about the psycho history of my relationship with pizza. Okay, is I don't think I ever barely, I barely ever had any pizza at all until high school. I think uh, because my, you know my parents were of a generation that was pre you know, pizza didn't become a big thing in America until the 50s and 60s. And my parents were older and I don't think they ate a lot of pizza. I don't think they ate pizza when they were in their in their teens and 20s. I don't think it was even available in Oklahoma and, and so forth when they grew up, you know? And so we didn't have pizza at all. We, I don't think we ever had pizza at home and we never had pizza delivered once when I was, um, until I went to college. Um, the only pizza I ever got to have as a kid was frozen pizza. And the only kind that you could get was Mama Celeste, which now is a laughable, you know, it's in the dollar store. But back then, that was the kind. So um, I also had Stouffer's frozen pizzas when those came out. But so I was really deprived of pizza as as a child and as a teenager for the most part. And then when I got old, when I was in high school, my friends could drive. We would go to play at local places that were nothing special in D.C., um, and then I didn't really get to have a lot of pizza until I went to college and you could get pizza delivered. And that was the first time I'd ever experienced that. And it was nothing special, but like the idea that you could call a phone number and have pizza delivered to your residence was astonishing to me. And this was, I mean, it, it sounds like this was the eighties and there wasn't all that much like Domino's. I remember hearing about Domino's. We didn't have any Domino's in DC. And I don't think there were even that many places that would deliver um, a pizza to our house back in those days. I know it sounds like ancient history now, but it, it, it that's the way it was. <laughs> no, but you know, what's interesting is that, and I, I'm basing this just only on like sort of being a, a consumer of pop culture, but it, it, the rise of pizza is almost like the rise of rock and roll in a lot of ways, because pizza was a young person food. That's what I sort of understand, especially when it comes, not, not necessarily in like the, the major cities, but especially in suburbs, it, it's like the, to me, the American graffiti of let's go on a, like a, a, let's go steady with a girl and take her out for pizza. Like it became part of the teenage vernacular, the teenage culture, which obviously evolved into mass culture, but like, I don't know. So that's probably what your parents might've thought about pizza. Yeah, I think it's very much, I mean, I think that probably when they were in their teens and twenties, it was, you could go to a drive-in and get hamburgers and things like that, Yeah, but you could also get meatloaf or, you know, or chicken stew or whatever at the drive-in. And then pizza places, I mean, those drive-ins, like you see in American Graffiti didn't serve pizza. You know, the pizza place was a whole, was a different thing that came, I think probably more in the early sixties, mid sixties. Um, and it was just wasn't the thing it is now. Just get, pe- 
people don't realize the way that the American food landscape from, you know, all the way up to about 1980 was very different. And like, you know, breakfast burritos weren't even invented until like 1993. It's a shocking fact. But yeah. if you look it up, that's like, I'd never heard of them before that and stuff. And like the same with pizza, the same with frozen pizza, these things, they just weren't around. You know, it was so much more eating like liver and onions, meatloaf and crap like that, that had been around since the 20s. And also just ethnic food is a is a is a concept that depending on where you're living, you take it for granted. But like it it, it was not everywhere. It just wasn't. No. So like the Italian culture was almost considered exotic for a lot of yes. pockets of the country. <laughs> yes. Especially even like in the South, it was still even the seventies, you didn't see Italian restaurants and the Chinese places were always kind of off in, in the you know, in the in, in the mini mall or whatever. But like even in DC. It was rare for us in the set in the seventies to we go to Chinese food once a year and we go to a Mexican place maybe once a year and there were no Taco Bells there were no Panda Expresses that kind of thing and it was very much like we're gonna have a liver tonight <laughs> type of type of lifestyle it's incredible but all right so you talked about that in college you ordered pizza uh, you went to Harvard and yes. what can you tell us about because also I'm fa- I've always been fascinated by the Harvard Lampoon but I'm always a little confused like I want sort of the uh, like a Netflix breakdown documentary about the uh, Harvard Lampoon and and you know did they which is obviously for people listening is like a, a, a it's very famous in its alumni. Like it's not as famous as its individual issues, although some of they have had some very famous issues. It's more famous by what these people have done after the fact. They've flocked to The Simpsons, they flocked to SNL, and been some of the major players in, and also created the National Lampoon. Um, but so, and, and they have like a temple in the middle of Cambridge that looks really, really cool. And yeah. like, would they have catered food? Is it was it like a fraternity? Was there like an old school cook that like hung out? What was the food like at the Harvard Lampoon? Is my long winded question. Well, you'll enjoy this. Um, <laughs> this uh, nobody's ever asked me that question in all the hundreds of interviews I've done. So the, it's it, the food. We didn't have a cook, and there was one office. There, you know, there were but there were ten elected officers from like the librarian to the vice president, you know, to things like that. The treasurer. One of the elected officers was in charge of the food. And the food, we only had food served once every two weeks at a dinner. We had a staff dinner, which usually then became a party afterwards. And it depended on who held the office. Um, one guy who, during the time I was there, there was a guy who was an incredibly urbane cook who made stuff like paella the first time we ever, <laughs> I ever had paella and things like that. Then the next guy was a guy who didn't cook at all and only ordered Popeye's fried chicken. At every single meal, we had Popeye's fried chicken that he would go pick up. And that was, you could do worse. I think people got sick of that. <laughs> then, I know, that was, Popeye's is good. Then uh, we had another guy who was a great cook who made these things like, these Thai curries and things like that, um, that like, you know, I would hope there would be leftovers so I could eat them for the next week. So it really varied from time to time. And there wasn't, it wasn't like you could walk in and eat like some clubs or fraternities have, they have a cook or they have sandwiches. They have lunch every day, things like that. We never had that. We only had the, the meals at the staff dinners and otherwise you just had to go buy your own food or go to the dining hall. And so where, how does pizza come into play? Well, we'd order pizza. Again, this was before chain pizza. We just certainly didn't have them in Cambridge at that time. We didn't have Domino's. There were two or three places that you would call and you would order a pizza from and you could get it delivered to your dorm or to the Lampoon building, as you said. And it was just regular. I mean, there was nothing special about it, but, you know, it hit the spot. And there were a number of good pizza places in Cambridge, too, uh, that you could walk to that were a little bit nicer, uh, like Belcanto and Bertucci's and things like that, that were more like a brick oven type of thing. 
Oh, and Pinocchio's. I should mention Pinocchio's. That's a legendary place in Harvard Square. They have subs and stuff. Everybody always wants to go to Pinocchio's when they come to Harvard Square. I love the name Pinocchio's. And they call it Pinocchio's or Noakes? What are the, what's, is there? I don't, I don't cotton to Noakes, but yes, that's what they call it. Okay. I don't like, I don't like that kind of abbreviation, like guac for guacamole. I don't, I don't <laughs> stick to those or apps, appetizers, but Noakes is what, yes, people do call it that. How dare you, Arthur, for even uttering that. <laughs> Listen, I, I didn't go to Harvard, so, you know. <laughs> you went to their safety school, Georgetown. But, uh, <laughs> so, you mentioned, though, that you didn't really grow up on pizza. Did it blow your mind these sort of chain type pizza places in college like did you learn to love it or was it sort of like equivalent to uh just regular college food it was a little bit of a step up from regular college food but it wasn't that i mean i didn't fall in love with i don't really think i have fallen in love with pizza until about 10 or 15 years ago when i moved to portland to be honest i think that the um at that time it was pretty much just like you if the dining hall was closed and it closed at seven you either have to go out and find food or you can have it delivered and you can have two, there's two pizza places that will deliver. And, and it was just kind of like, it wasn't like anybody got excited about it. Well, I mean, you get excited a little bit, but it wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't like it was anything kind of like a destination dining or it wasn't, a, it wasn't a major event to order pizza. It was very casual. I'm fast forwarding a little bit. Obviously there's a lot in between, but uh, you worked at the Simpsons for what most people think is the greatest uh, era of, I don't want to slam on any other eras of the Simpsons, but you really get the meat of it. So uh, you become showrunner uh, season seven and season eight, but you're there for that time period. What from season three, season three to season nine. Yeah. So what was eating like at the Simpsons and was pizza a part of that as well? This is an interesting uh, thing, and I, it is, it's, it's, I could go on for a very long time about eating at the Simpsons. Whatever you want. If you want. Okay, well, I don't want to use up all, the, all of our podcasts about that, but I will tell you that this food took out an outsized importance in your life when you worked at the Simpsons in those days. Um, and I will tell you why, because this was the day, these were the days before cell phones. So there was nothing to do except work or eat, period. <laughs> Or you could smoke. A couple <laughs> people smoked it back in the room. Like this, I'm sure you may have heard the story about like people, John Swartzwell, their famous Simpsons writer, who when they outlawed smoking in 1994, left, never came back and went and smoked, you know, wrote all his things at a diner. Then when they outlawed the smoking in the diners, he bought the diner booth and moved into his house. And Unbelievable. So I, I smoked a little bit then too, because it's, you know, you... I cannot tell you how boring it is to sit. It seems like it's going to be fun, but sitting there 10, 12 hours a day in the same room with a whole bunch of guys, it was all guys at that time, um, 12, it's it's boring. And making up the jokes is, is okay, but like all you have distraction. People these days probably look at their phone. I'm sure they look at their phone all the time and it becomes probably an issue. But back then you could eat or smoke, or maybe like you could look at the newspaper for a minute or two, but it's unkosher to sit there reading the newspaper all day. So you would eat. And there was a room right next to the writer's room that was loaded with snacks, like, you know, everything from Oreos, Doritos, nothing healthy back then. So people would eat that stuff all the time. Everybody gained, not everybody, but most people gained a lot of weight. I lost 65 pounds when I left The Simpsons. Um, (laughs) So you would, so, and then lunch, lunch, because we always ordered lunch and and the show would pay for you to get lunch. It would be brought in. It took on an outsized importance in your life because it would be we had a book of menus of like you know 48 menus from places mm. that we could the, the PAs could go pick up or they would deliver or the commissary at Fox and so people would spend a long time picking which place we're going to order from today 
And then you'd be like, oh, I want to order an appetizer. I'm going to order an entree. I'm going to order dessert to maximize the amount of time I can spend eating. And sometimes you'd order for later too. Like one guy used to order a whole pie when we went to pie and we went to, we went to Apple Pan and then eat like a slice every hour or two throughout the day. Um, and so that would become your entertainment. And that, and like, there's even one... Just one short digression about this. Part of what happened is we had a screen door and it was on the second floor. The PA, the production assistant who brought in the lunch, you'd hear him coming. You'd hear him coming up the stairs with the box and all the rattling of the boxes and the bags and all the takeout food things. And everybody became like Pavlov's dog. We'd be like, oh my God, we t- our lunch is coming. Not only do we get to have a break, but our precious food is coming. One day we hear the guy walking up the stairs very slowly. Everybody's excited. We hear the rattling. And then all of a sudden we hear a crash and the th- and all this sounds of that stuff rolling down the stairs and and a, and a scream and we're like oh no that guy's injured but more importantly our, our lunch is ruined <laughs> and we went out and it was conan o'brien who had gotten a cardboard box filled with garbage and thrown it down the stairs to screw with us and we all had a, a great laugh <laughs> and then our lunch came to make it even better oh my god that's amazing again to show you some of the uh, all-star people that uh, wrote on the simpsons at that time uh, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of uh, comedy about food in The Simpsons. Oh, but we and- didn't have pizza. I will say, I'll say oh, yeah, yeah. as a sidebar, the, or- the orders for things for, there's a lot of CPK back in those days. California Pizza Kitchen was very popular yeah. then. Other things like Islands, um, Burgers from Apple Pan, I would say, one of LA's best places. Um, things like that or sub sub sandwiches or or pasta from like a pasta, a pastini type place. Um we never had pizza for lunch because pizza Why? was generally – pizza is a late-night thing when it's like we got to eat fast and get out of here. That's when it's like you're ordering dinner and when people don't want to stay late. When people are like, let's have a really fast dinner so we don't have to stay till 3 in the morning. And then you get the pizza and it's a fast, quick dinner. But if you're staying late and you know you're going to stay, then it's even more complicated. The dinner's even more complicated and you're ordering from Delmonico's or whatever. So the, the pizza the pizza is the emergency food that was not only ordered when you're in a huge rush. Okay. I try to figure out if food can be innately, obviously there's food can be funny. And you wrote a, I mean, one of the most famous Simpsons bits ever, um, the steamed hams from 22 short films about Springfield. Obviously we can explain that like in an intro. I don't, we don't need to get into the ins and outs of that brilliant sketch, but how else have, did you try to incorporate food and even pizza into comedy. And was that, because obviously you have a love for food, um, was that something you were consciously trying to do? We were doing it by accident all the time. Josh and I, Josh, I should say important to say, for all the stuff we did at The Simpsons, Josh Weinstein was my writing partner and we were the showrunners together and he was my best friend from high school. Um, Crazy. We would have to cut down the jokes. We'd be like, there's seven jokes about food on this page. You can't have, because that's because you get hungry and you start thinking about food and then there's too many food jokes. So we were at a point where we were like, there's too many food jokes in the show. And I think you'll see there's a lot of food jokes in The Simpsons, especially in ones that we wrote. Um, And then like, yeah, no, we love to write food jokes. And I still, to this day, even things I'm writing, like stuff I'm writing right now, I'm like, we can't have another food joke. There was just one on the previous page. And so it's, yes, it's very tempting because it's one of the few universal things that, that you know, mankind shares is, is that, that we most, <laughs> most all of us eat food of some sort. And most of us in America are familiar with pizza, hamburgers, things like that, tacos. And so it is, it's, you know, it, it's tempting to go there, to go to that well a lot. 
the fact that you all used Homer, and it's I think it's a reflection on us as a society. You look at Homer Simpson right now, the first thing you think of is not that he's incredibly overweight. He just sort of is a guy. But the way he was written then is that he's the most gluttonous entity that ever existed. I mean, yeah. he's in hell, and they're just shoving donuts down his mouth, and that's not displeasurable for him. He's eating, right. you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of donuts. And so, like, in a way, it reflects on us that back then, he was this gluttonous, crazy thing. And you look at him now, and you think, he's just kind of a dude. Oh, yeah. No, he's like, <laughs> I think I weigh more than Homer Simpson. A lot of people, a lot of us do these days. And uh, he's not even that fat. I mean, yeah, but yeah, he likes to... He, the thing about Homer is that he has, has a lot of id, and and as Schwarzwelder once said, you got to write him like he's a dog. You know, he's he can't control his urges. He's really hungry. He's going to eat until all the food is gone. You know, that kind of thing. He gets excited, and that's the way. That's honestly probably the key to writing good Homer material, uh, which John Schwarzwelder obviously did, is to think of him as a dog who who is has trouble controlling his urges. <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm curious, Bill, was there ever a moment where you're in the writer's room where you're working on that way? You ever got stumped or found something particularly difficult to get through um, and have any memorable moments around that kind of a situation? Yes, all the time. And they're not fun. That happened. It would happen at least, I would say, six or seven times a day. The thing about it is at that time, and this is how I learned to write, and I think I have had to unlearn it, we did not go back. So if we had to write something these days when I'm writing something or even when Josh and I were doing other shows, we were like, okay, we're getting stuck on this joke. Someone write this, you two leave, write the joke, write 10 versions of this joke and come back. Back in those days, we would sit there and say, okay, we're stuck. Everybody's going to think for an hour about this joke. And yes, it happened specifically for things like the title of Itchy and Scratchy episodes, Groundskeeper Willie-isms, Sideshow Bob-isms. Things like that 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 are complicated and and involve puns or whatnot often were really the character comedy was easier to come by. But what it's a, here's a funny sign. We need a funny sign for the dry cleaners. That kind of thing would take an hour. You could have ten guys sitting there for an hour thinking of that kind of thing, and it happened. I don't know at least six times a day. That's why I say that's when you're eating. That's when you get up and you're like, I can't take another fucking minute of this. I'm going to go up. I'm going to get a bag of Doritos from the other room. I'm going to bring the Doritos back in and leave it on the table. And then everybody else starts eating the Doritos. And that's why I lose 65 pounds. I want to get into your food content, but I think there's a connection there. And I'm wondering, uh, just sort of like on a, on a personal level, those I can't imagine what those writing rooms are like because you're surrounded by the Conan O'Briens and these people that are absolute legends. And you... And getting stuck in the minutia must be a huge clog in that wheel because, like, you know, you are – you're stuck on things like, right, what's the best sign and everyone has an opinion. You seem like you're having a blast uh, talking about food. Is Yes. It doesn't pay any money, though. That's the problem. Sure, People will pay me a lot of money to come up with a Simpsons joke, but they won't pay me to talk about food. So we have to fix that. That's, that's a, it's a problem with the system that needs to be rejiggered. Are you reveling in the fact that there's not a writer's room and you can just put out this content without uh, these other brilliant writers uh, thinking they have better ideas? I like working with other writers. I don't like working with TV executives. And that's what I oh, love. I, that's what I love so much about this is that I can't tell you how fucking annoying it is to have to go through the development process, which is honestly what I've been doing. Josh and I have both been doing for the yeah. past 20 years is developing. We've worked with, there's been periods where we worked on shows like Disenchantment and so forth, that, that you know, Netflix Mac rating show and other shows that we had. But when you're not doing that, we're in development. And development is pitch, you're just that Willie Loman out there with your 
project and you're pitching it and executives don't like it. They don't like this aspect of it. And then you write the script and they give you notes. And I'm sure that I don't have to go through the details, but I'm sure many jobs when you have to deal with bosses or our clients who are unreasonable are equally annoying. But I I can't stand the TV business. The development of TV business has driven me crazy for years. And every single time I make a video, an Instagram food video, I'm like, I'm going to come up with this idea and it's going to be on the air in three hours. And there's nobody going to give me notes. Nobody going to say, we don't understand where this character is coming from. Nobody's going to say, this doesn't really fit with our slate this year. Fuck you. I'm kind of sorry, getting mad now. <laughs> this doesn't fit with our slate this year. We're not really, yeah, well, tough, tough. You know, I got 70,000 views in, in, in 24 hours from putting this up. I mean, again, that's nothing compared to many famous YouTubers and stuff like that. But for me, the pleasure of being able to do this without having to go through the gauntlet of people who want to give you notes is is a thrill every time. Well, Bill, I don't want to. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little out of control there. No, well, yes. you know, I for me, that 39-year-old who's never created anything should really tell you, a guy who ran The Simpsons in the 90s, mm, how to run a show. I'm just saying, I'm kind of on that inexperienced 39-year-old who uh, can make or break careers. You know, it's fun. The, the ultimate thing, and this is true for every creative field, the person who's paying the money gets to call the shots. Yeah. And since this doesn't pay any money, I call the shots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just the idea, the hubris that would that anyone giving you guys notes in that in offices like that makes my blood boil. Well, to be I have to be fair, to most of these these days when I'm dealing with TV executives, they don't generally give me notes. They're very friendly and then they just don't call back. You know, that's the thing. That's the that's the version that I get these days as a prestigious TV writer is like, oh, yeah, we love it. Let us talk to our team. And then, you know, nothing ever comes of it. So that's, again, that's the thrill of, I don't I can't speak, there's, again, there's 10 million people doing this on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, or whatever, and, and, and whatever, I'm just one of them. But for me, migrating out of the TV rat race <laughs> to another field where there isn't, that's so, so many layers of creative control is liberating. Well, let's get into it then. So you started um, a few years back, you uh, commented on how McDonald's started serving all-day breakfast, and you had a problem with that, which is a very interesting kind of hot take. Uh, and then that turned into NPR reaching out to you, and then this sort of, and I'm totally simplifying this, but this turned into a kind of new career where now people go to you to essentially rate and review and discuss fast food chain restaurants, and you've built a mini empire uh, steamed hams society and food discovery club. You have, uh, the steamy awards. So this is a whole thing. And, uh, sort of like, tell us how it got here. Obviously we sort of went through it, but like, tell us how you, you're enjoying this aspect of your life now. Oh yeah. This is, this is great fun. And I think is that I'll just, the short version is probably because I was so deprived of both fast food and pizza as a child, <laughs> I have an unhealthy obsession and interest in it. And I have for years, and I would always be the kind of person who was like, I got to go try the new McDonald's burger that just came out. I yeah. have to go, you know, try this new frozen pizza or whatever. And so that's how it happened is honestly, I migrated from Twitter to Instagram on the day that McDonald's decided to start serving fresh rather than frozen quarter pounders. And I did a video because I was like, it took me three hours to figure out how to stitch 
three shots together. That's how little I knew about video. But I put it on Instagram rather than writing up a thing on Twitter. And it got like, and like McDonald's social media, like we're like, hey, congratulations on your new career as a video blogger. And I'm like, wow, that's exciting. And the head chef at McDonald's also both, they saw it too. So I was excited. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I got more viewers. I got more attention online. And I started to get more respected as a as a you know observer and critic of this type of thing um to the point and now i've been doing it for six years crazy actually five and a half and i am yes i'm off and i'm asked to write articles for things i appear on the food that built america on the history channel as a fast food expert um and i have a lot of i have a mini empire as you say um i have the steamed hams anything that you hear with steamed hams in it is is me that's me because i want to try to leverage the people's knowledge of that into money for me so i had a steamed hams beer um that we did this year uh which was uh, which was a big hit and we had the steamed ham society any listener can go to steamedhamsociety.com to join which is a club of like-minded people all around the world who love to talk about food stuff and we have all sorts of other things merchandise live streams um and then i also have this yearly award show which is uh the steamies uh and I do 10 awards on my Instagram for best everything from best new fast food item to best international potato chip to, you know, best pickle, things like that. And I generally get people of some level of celebrity to present the awards. Um, and those have gotten some attention too. So yeah, no, that's a lot of fun. And I, it is, it's a cottage industry that takes up about half my time and pays about 1% of my income. So frozen pizza is one of those categories. So I'm curious if you can give us a little overview of what your observations have been of the frozen pizza scene over the time that you've been having this category. This is a great question. I just wrote a big article about this very topic for Kitchen Table magazine. Um, And thus, I can tell you, yes, I eat eat more frozen pizza than any other single food. And I have been doing it for 20 years. Um, and it's a very interesting scene. Uh, number one is that the pros- it depends on where you live in America, for one. If you live in Minnesota or Wisconsin, they have 20,000 frozen pizzas in the supermarket. That's amazing. Like, I've seen videos of these. It's crazy. It's astonishing. Wow. Um, yeah. Like, and our, our frozen pizza section here in Portland, even at your biggest supermarket, is maybe 20% of the size of a Midwestern frozen pizza thing. And they have like, you know, they may have a thing that you, th- we have three flavors of whatever Totino's here. They got 30 <laughs> in Wisconsin. And, th- and also all these other brands you never heard of and different styles. So I have a limited ability to, um, to try some of those things, but also we have things like gold belly and I have opinions about that too. Having had so many different types of frozen pizza from around the country shipped to me for an exorbitant cost <laughs> by gold belly. But, um, and the frozen pizzas that like we've had, uh, in the supermarket ones, I have strong opinions about those too because I've I think I've had every single one multiple times. I mean, what what are your thoughts on the on the on the regional styles of pizza that you've gotten via Gold Belly? Well, I'm glad you asked. My favorite style of pizza is Old Forge style pizza from Old Forge, Pennsylvania. Okay, those like. I've had the ones from Arcaro and Janelle, which ships on yep. Gold Belly, and they both come. You've I assume you've had it or tried it or you know of yep. it. Yep, I've been to the pizza capital of the world. You've been to Old Forge? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm very envious. I've only had the frozen ones from Arcaro and Janelle, but they have the red and the white ones. And both of them, like, push my buttons. They push, like, like this is exactly what I want. It's like an elevated version of what you'd call the high school cafeteria <laughs> pizza. But it's like all the flavors are so rich and, like, it, 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 it 
reheats marvelously, uh, you know, from from the shipment, and then you can eat it for the next four days. It reheats marvelously the next four times too. So that's the one that I could have of all the ones I've had. Those that is my absolute favorite. Now I've also had Table Eighty Seven in Brooklyn ships yep. pre-made slices which are yep. magnificent and you just have to heat them up in the oven and it's like it's cold uh, fire pretty close cold fire wa- slices yes. that you can just it's like walking into the restaurant or i would imagine it's like walking into a restaurant it's certainly at home it's a remarkable achievement um and then i've also had all the chicago ones uh i'm not a fan of lou malnati's despite the fact that everybody talks about lou malnati's all the time wow i've had pequods a couple times and i I love. Pe- I know everybody is like Pequods. It's, it, you you got to love Pequods. Maybe you I have to go it. there for Pequods. Well, I though. did go there. I also didn't love it there. Um, wow. I don't now know. That's uh, the one that non-deep dish lovers seem to gravitate towards because I'm, I'm from that area and uh, that's interesting. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't, I didn't. I don't like the excessively burned edges, you know? I don't, I guess I have, I have no, I hear ch- you. I, I understand childish that. tastes. Um, of all the frozen Chicago pizzas, I've had Giordano's was by was significantly better than all the other ones um and it may just be That's because of the way that it ships it's it's also a different it's more complicated like malnati's you just put in the oven giordano's you have to cook and then you put some sauce on it that comes in a package and it's a little more of an operation to cook it but it was definitely delicious um there's no chicago style pizza in the supermarket that is worth buying um in my opinion however there is a so not a fan style, of home the, run in frozen pies I'm not a fan of home running. Okay, okay, this is the thing. That is the most, I would say, it's the third most controversial thing in all of food. The three most controversial things in all of food are, can you put ketchup on hot dogs? Is mayonnaise awful or great? And home run-in pizza. People are always telling me, you got to, oh, home run-in pizza. And they're, it's so delicious and whatever. I've had it five or six times. And every time I've been like, eh, it's okay. But it's not, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be in my top 10 uh, in the supermarket. I would like to have home run in pizza at the restaurant to have that experience and understand the restaurant versus the frozen pie. Yeah. I would do that in Chicago. I would go try that. I had it as a kid and I liked it. I have never tried the frozen. Now I'm super curious. I need to get Giordano's and try the home run in from the supermarket. I got to do that. I just love that you have shouted out to Old Forge. I love that because I get <laughs> shit all the time for talking about Old Forge style pizza and I have an obsession with one place that I'm going to put on your radar if you haven't heard of it before, which is Ferries. It's not in Old Forge. It's in Moscow, Pennsylvania. So it's a little bit like not it's a little Mm -hmm. bit outside of town, but they do a Lenten only mashed potato cheese pizza that is insane. And Hawk Crawl, who I am obsessed with, he's an illustrator and writer. He did a fantastic essay about this pizza for Savour. And he's a great illustrator. It's worth a read uh, if you're interested in Old Forge-style pizza, Nipa pizza. Go check it oh, out. Oh, please send, please send it to me. Um, I I love that style of pizza. And it's partially because I would assume, I've never been there, but it, it, it heats up great. And and it and it comes you know when you get it shipped to you I can't imagine it being all that much uh in, in any it's probably significantly better in the restaurant but it's still great at home so yeah and it's a weird it's a weird regional thing that most people have never heard of for those people who are listening who aren't into the regional styles via Gold Belly and just are talking about those supermarket grocery aisles that we were talking about before what are what are the ones that you go like completely out of your way to avoid and then which are a couple of the ones that you really would flag as hey this is actually pretty good i don't like freshetta i don't like that crust i've never liked it 
I've tried it a, a thousand times since 1990 <laughs> and, I, and I don't like it, but I know some people do. So maybe that's just, I don't like the puffy bready crust like that. I don't like most DiGiorno's, although they have some ones that I do like. It's again, the crust, I like their thin crust ones. Um, the But there are a number of somewhat fancier pizzas that are like Urban Pie Company makes that one with pepperoni and it's a combination of marinara and Alfredo sauce, creamy rosa sauce. That pizza is among the best. Um, there's also one uh, that you can get from your Kroger or your private selection or whatever it's called that is a uh, five cheese and marmalade one. And I never thought that I would want mm. to have marmalade on a pizza, but now just talking about it, I'm, I'm craving it. Um, so there's a number of specialty ones that that really hit out of the park. But as far as just regular ones, you know, I'm generally pretty satisfied with, oh, you know what else sucks? The Tillamook ones. I'm angry about this because Tillamook is a brand that we in Oregon were very, very, very proud of. Tillamook and the Tillamook cheese and the factory. People go, the yep. Tillamook cheese factory is like our one of our biggest destinations, right? And and normally the stuff they do is great, okay? But they it seems to me, based on my research, they license the name Tillamook to, to a place that makes all sorts of frozen meals um, and they have pizza and they have macaroni and cheese and nobody, I haven't met a single person who likes this pizza and it's a, I would just say it's an embarrassment. That one is one you've got to avoid and I hope that Tillamook stops licensing their name and embarrassing themselves with this crazy, this crazy scheme because um, the, Tillamook is a brand that we all revere here in, in Oregon. So, the, okay, so I would avoid that but let me also say, now here are ones that I don't think people would, would think are good. Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese, during the pandemic, when it was bankrupt, started making frozen pizzas and they make a cheese and they make a pepperoni. And it's just like what's significantly better than the pizza from the restaurants, which I hadn't had since my kids were very little. But it's if, if you just want like this, I want a regular old pizza. I chuck it with nothing special about it that delivers. That's Chuck E. Cheese. I'm telling you, don't be shocked. I know people are skeptical, but it's true. Then I can also go, you know, I don't mind to, I don't mind the Tombstone Deluxe. Um, if you can't find Tombstone, the Red Baron is okay. I don't love, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I love them, but sometimes this they hit the spot. That and, and some beer or, you know, whatever. And Totino's, like you know. Red Baron over a Tombstone. You like Red Baron over a Tombstone? Which, what kind? Yeah. Oh man, I did this whole deep dive into frozen pizza a couple of years ago and I ranked like 30 of them and subjected myself to 50, but I don't remember all of the different, I really don't remember all of the different variations. I'd be lying. Okay, well, uh, then I'll I also check go while on we to, talk. I'll figure it out. Okay. The Totino's, you know, the Totino's weirdnesses that the little, the square giant square crackers with that are like, the thing about those is if you're in the mood for one, they're pretty good and they're so cheap. Like often they're on sale for like a dollar 25 a piece. And like, that's, that's really good. So you can have four of those for the price of one, you know, mediocre frozen pizza or 12 of them for the price of a home run in pizza. If you want to have 12 Totino's pizzas. It was the Red Baron classic crust pepperoni pizza that I thought was better yeah. than the DiGiorno. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think those are pretty good. And I like the Red Baron ones, but I prefer Tombstone. It's just, I can't find Tombstone at very many places these days. And it's, I think it's 10% better. I do want to ask you, Arthur and I were having a very heated argument before we started talking with you. <laughs> and I started thinking about, no, I know you don't strictly cover fast food, even though you are considered by many a fast food expert. I started thinking about fast food pizza, like the strict, in my head, the strict definition of fast food. <laughs> but that's it. So, like, I was thinking Domino's, people count, that's not fast food. And I was thinking, like, Papa John's, those aren't really fast food. Sparrow is. And, like, Uno Express at the airport or Pizza Hut Express, that's fast food. But what do you think of that? It, like, does that make sense to you? I mean, it, I think you can... 
it, it may be slicing it too thin <laughs> to to say well that, that that's not fast food because it is like I mean it's fast food adjacent if anything I mean it's it's, just, it's like that same thing that we have with fast casual like is Shake Shack fast food well some of the locations have drive-throughs now so they are kind of fast food in some areas like it's like and so I'd say like I would say Domino's Papa John's Pizza Hut could be considered fast food but not I think as much they're more like TGI Fridays. I think they well, are a chain restaurant like that, like a Red Robin as opposed to fast food. That's my take. Well, only the most uh, astute analyst of this business could figure out whether they're in the QSR category or the fast casual I'm just category. Gonna say, I was just going to say, and that's that's what we were saying before you came on, QSR, which is quick service and fast food, casual restaurant industries, the, the, the magazine note, denotes... Uh, Domino's as a fast food restaurant yes. pizza chain. Yes. So Alfred, I think I just, that they, just, they lump it I'm in there. I don't listen want. to them. No, I don't listen to them. <laughs> I think that you, fast food, Sparrow is more fast food than those other ones. But, Agreed. and it's also, it's a, it's a meaningless, uh, it's a meaningless designation too, because it's really, I mean, the, in, the industry analysts consider it fast food, but yes, it's not quite the same. All right. Well, I'm just going to say that I was correct in the argument. So I'll just mark that down in our records that I won that argument. We don't talk about this enough, although I think more and more we're doing this, and and I like it. What do you drink? What do you pair with your pizza drink-wise? Beer. (laughs) Thank you. Do you have one of your steam tan? Well, I don't want to give – I only have a few of them left, so I don't usually have that. I usually have a Budweiser or or, um, PBR with the beer. I don't want a fancy beer. I don't want a beer with a lot of weird maltiness in it. I don't want a beer with a lot of sourness in it or an IPA. I want regular old (laughs) red, white, and blue American uh, Pilsner style beer to go with my pizza. As my friend John Hall would say, beer flavored beer, like that PBR. (laughs) Like, yeah, exactly. That's what the, that's what the Steam Tams Lager is, um, but it's designed. It was specifically designed to go with hamburgers rather than pizza. Um, in fact, we taste tested it, you know, with dozens of tastes with hamburgers to make sure it was the perfect beer to go with hamburgers. And now that you've mentioned that, I think we should come up with the one that goes with pizza. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea because I, I obviously you would have a lot of opinions on that, and that's that's a topic that we just don't get to. But a lot of people don't say beer. Like Arthur says, all kinds of weird stuff, but not beer. I think I think it pairs perfectly with beer. Coke is not a weird thing. Sorry. I mean, Coke, I mean, what do you think about pizza? What, assuming that you I love imagine Coke going, being 12 and going to Pizza Hut back when it had the dine-in things and those red cups, red plastic cups. Exactly. Sure. You would get a Coke, you know? You sure. would get a Coke or a Sprite. And I think that's also, it's. A, I'd say it's a valid, extremely valid thing to pair with pizza and probably has been since the 60s, you know? That like if you couldn't drink beer, you're a teenager, yeah. you go to the restaurant, you get a Coke and a pizza. You don't want, a malt is too much. Water is too, yeah. li- too little. Coke just it's the perfect it's the pause that refreshes as they used to say oh there you go but it is Coke versus Pepsi with pizza for you then it sounds like yeah but I wouldn't mind Pepsi I don't have any problem with regular Pepsi I think it's weird when someone has a major preference between the two I think that's just weird really I don't think that's weird it's like Sprite and 7-Up. Just everyone can relax. I will not drink diet soda. If I was going to die, I would not drink diet soda. I can't stand diet soda, so I will not do that. I like that. Well, soda. I would. I don't mind diet soda because I'd rather put my calories into the food. Yes, um, and, agreed. And, and there, but I can't. I can't have an unlimited number of calories, so I don't want another three hundred calories on top of the food. I sure. agree with that. I'm happy to have a diet, a diet soda, if need be. I want to ask because, man, we've we've kept you for a long time, and before okay. we uh, conclude, too, I, I want to make sure we get this. What is your perfect slice, and where are you getting it from? What's on it? Well, 
that's a good question. I mean, I can, it would obviously be a, a local place here in Portland, okay. but I have to, I can't say, I can't narrow it down. It's always because there's so many different styles. Should I, can I say four different ones? I don't know. You, you know, can, but we're going to have to edit it all out. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we have a place. We have, there's there's only really one place currently that makes the Chicago thin crust tavern style pizza in this whole city, Bridge City. That I love. I love. I love their pizza. Um, pizza Jerk makes a New York style slice that I love, and they made one with that. They they've made a couple of unusual ones with like some um, hot honey and stuff on them that I loved. Um, they uh, there's a Detroit style place at, that is called the Crust Collective that makes the best Detroit style just regular cheese I've ever had. And then lastly, a Pizza Shoals. Uh, the guy Brian who runs a Pizza Shoals at one point made I think he was just screwing around made a pizza that was supposed to be like uh, a King Arthur pizza from Round Table Pizza with all the toppings and stuff. And uh, he gave that to me, and it was spectacular. So that's probably my. I don't think it's available for purchase, but that would be the slice that if that I can only have one, that would be it. So toppings wise, though, for those, do you have bespoke like different toppings for those different pies or do you have a go to pizza topping that you always like to get? I generally like to have I like to have green pepper. I like to have vegetables, but not too many. I don't want spinach. I don't want spinach or broccoli or anything like that on my pizza. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I like if I could basically it would be like a pepperoni sausage green pepper black olive and maybe a little bit of tomato or something like that those are the ones i don't like the thing is once you get past four or five toppings the pizza becomes too soggy i think too much um and so i've always there's always the ones like the supreme you know the deluxe or whatever that have nine toppings by the time that pizza gets here or even by the time you heard eating it it's all wet in the middle that's my my thinking on that topic and I also, and I don't mind Hawaiian pizza. I don't mind Hawaiian pizza at all. Um, I sometimes I order it, and sometimes I crave it. Anchovies. I think that's fair. Thought on anchovies? No. As a pizza topping? No. I hate them. I hate them. And I thought I didn't. I thought like I had them when I was like ten, and I hated it. I didn't have them again until I was about forty-eight, and I was like, I was young. I was a kid. I didn't know what's talking about. Anchovies are great. And I hated it even more <laughs> when I was 48. And, but I like anchovies by themselves. You know, I've actually eaten a whole little tin of those fancy Spanish anchovies or whatever and really enjoyed it. But on the pizza, the combination, them, the salty, weird creepiness of anchovies on like the cheesy tomatoiness of the pizza is atrocious. I'm sorry. There was the people who like that. I'm sorry. But to me, it, just, it, it short circuits my brain. Mushrooms, do you hate mushrooms too? Or do you like mushrooms? Do you like them canned or fresh? Mushrooms are okay. Mushrooms are okay. I don't All know. Right. You know, I don't actually even know the difference that on pizzas. What what do they normally use on pizzas? Well, it dep- I mean, like a lot of New York slice joints have just the canned mushrooms that look like, you know, they've been sitting in water for forever. And then usually if it's done the right way with the slight with the fresh mushrooms, they're just sliced super thinly. And, you know, they're they're scattered on top and they kind of cook in the oven on top of the pizza. Yeah. I had can't the worst pizza I ever had in my life was in Montauk, New York, with oh. and it was canned mushrooms that were not sliced. That the people they just dumped the unsliced canned mushrooms onto the top of the pizza with I think with the juice and it was post bake un- unbelievably bad. Oh, okay, well I it, they weren't I, maybe before the bake, but it was just like it was so weird to see these big big balls Wet. of mushrooms sticking up from the pizza unsliced. I don't know what was going on there. I think that that that. Um, they were, had untrained employees. Where in Montauk? Just curious. Shall that place go unnamed? I can't remember. It was twenty. It was twenty years ago. It was twenty okay, years okay. ago, and I don't remember. Interesting, because there's only like two, I think, pizza places out there. <laughs> the other question I wanted to ask you is uh, about blotting. 
So, you know, there's sometimes there's a lot of oil on top of a lot of these slices. Are you and people you'll see people lift up the slice and they'll drip all the oil off. Do you blot or do you not blot? Yes, I use a paper towel uh, generally or a napkin to do that. I think I think that it's case by case, but I think that's correct. So, I, again, I, you've been they say, don't meet your heroes. And uh, <laughs> I, I disagree. This is. Awesome. I want to make sure, though, uh, look, you do have plenty of outlets to discuss food. However, this pizza focus, are, are there any topics we didn't get to? Is there? Is there? I mean, obviously, there's a million topics we didn't get to, but is there something specifically? I know you have opinions. Is there something you really want to get off your chest uh, in this specific pizza, you know, avenue? Yes. I have one last thing I would like to say. Please. Re- reheating pizza. There has mm. been a lot of discussion about this over the years. Yeah. And as to whether, you know, microwave obviously sucks. Oven tends to dry it out. And I've been hearing a lot of, of people for years now say, you got to do it in the frying pan. You get eight minutes in the frying pan with the lid on the frying pan. Superior to that, and I've tried this now 50 or 60 times over the past five years, is the air fryer. Uh, mm. People, I know people have various opinions about air fryers. I consider the air fryer to be the better, even better than a microwave in terms of being a miracle for your kitchen. It's a miracle for anything you want to have crispy. Um, and as far as reheating pizza, it is superior to the frying pan method. It is faster. And if you know, three minutes at 375 or whatever, depending on the pizza, it is sometimes even better than it was to begin with. So I just like to convey that to your listeners. I love it. Bill, do you do you have it on the, like the mesh? Is it what kind of an air fryer is the bet makes the best reheat for this? I only have one air fryer and it has kind of a bucket in it that, that has holes. And so okay. I just lay it on the bucket and and, and sometimes and I have it. to kind of curl the pizza around because it doesn't fit into the bucket. But um, if I'm doing two slices, but yeah, no, it, it, it always works and it doesn't dry it out and it, it makes it the edges crispy. And as I said, sometimes it's actually superior to the first time. To the original pizza. Some people get really finicky with their reheat with the air fryer or just in general in the oven where they will drizzle some water on the crust. I'm wondering yes. if you have any other things that you do with this reheat for I, the perfect reheat in the air fryer. It doesn't need it in the air fryer, but in okay. the oven, I always have a thing. I have a little spray bottle for that says pure water so people don't <laughs> I, put stuff, put cleaning fluid in it or whatever. And I do, when I reheat in the oven, which I sometimes do for other pizzas that are like deep dish or whatever, oh my um, God, I, I spray this. stuff on it. I spray the, a little water on it. There you go. You heard it here first. This begs the question because I'm not the foodie like Arthur. Arthur's the expert. I'm the dum-dum. What are your thoughts about cold pizza or room temperature pizza? It's all right. Uh, it's okay. all right in a pinch. I mean, I, I would rather have it heated up, but I have eaten, I would say, at least once a week, probably for the past 20 years, a slice of cold pizza. If it's in the fridge <laughs> and I don't feel like going to that trouble, um, even if I've been waiting three minutes for it to be heating up in the air fryer, it's generally pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have any problem with it. Um, I wouldn't, it's not my preferred way to eat it, but in a pinch, it's fine. And it's it's better than a lot of just regular food. Sometimes, depending on what's happening and depending on the pizza, there's something surprisingly more satisfying, I'll say. Sometimes with that morning where you're not expecting it and you're not even craving pizza and you see it in the fridge and you instinctively just take a bite because I'm a creep who does that. And all of a sudden it hits you. And I think, I think that was better than it was last night. It just hits me in a different kind of surprising way. Right? I could be the minority. No, I think you're right. It's a different It's a different food yeah. when it's cold. You know, the cheese is 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 not runny, not melty. And it's cold. It's like there's big, big pieces of cheese on there and stuff. And it's more like eating. It's sam. I mean, it's almost like a sandwich without a top. You know, hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. This has been awesome, sir. Thank you so much for entertaining me my whole <laughs> life. And thank you for coming on and having this new, it's newish uh, version of yourself with these food opinions. I love it. And I thank hope you. you get the major payday so you don't have to talk to any of those annoying, ignorant, dumb executives <laughs> ever again. Well, thank you very much. I, I do. That is my Christmas wish. <laughs> That's my Chris's wish for you because I don't want to. I, I, the, the fact that you would ever be in a meeting with someone who's done so much less than you makes me very upset. So, well, that's the way that it, that's the way that the business works, and that's the way that every business works. Unfortunately, yeah. Until you become so wealthy that you don't ever have to go to a meeting, <laughs> then then you you know until then you still have to keep keep toting around your samples like Willie Loman. Bill Oakley, ladies and gentlemen, fantastic! Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bill. It's time for pizza news. The Nashville hot chicken trend continues unabated. Pizza Marketplace has noted that CeCe's Pizza has jumped on the craze with a special pizza offering. A fried chicken covered in cayenne pepper sauce served with white bread and pickle chips is what Nashville hot chicken is, if you are not sure. The style of crispy pizza could be the next big thing in the Bay Area. That's the headline from the San Francisco Chronicle in an article that highlights Chicago Tavern-style pizza popping up there and highlighting Crocante, Cellar Maker House of Pizza, The Last Round Tavern, and Sunset Squares. The article uses bar pies and tavern-style pizza interchangeably, which I wouldn't, Alfred. Bar pie is a very thin crust, decidedly crisp, well done, but not to the point of being burned pizza, and large enough to share, but small enough you could house one yourself. That's from Adam Kuban, who's a noted expert on this. He also notes the best bar pizza joints are beloved gathering spots that bring together generations and social classes. I think a bar pie is as more of an East Coast thing found on Long Island at Eddie's in New Jersey and Massachusetts. Thin dough circles topped to the edge with low moisture cheese baked in a pan and gas-fired deck oven and served as a personal size pizza in bars. Midwestern tavern-style pizzas, including Chicago Thin St. Louis, would really fit this definition only if they were smaller and baked in pans, but as I understand it, they're mostly baked on the deck. Lastly, pizza bagels. I'm not a huge fan, but on Instagram, I was watching Jimmy Hank Pizza. If you're not following him, do so. He's he's a master at the Frico Crust, doing bagel Detroit pizzas with these crazy Fricos, and he just takes these have bagels that he got from Costco, put them in these small cake pans, heavily cheeses them, pepperoni in the middle. The Frico crust is so tall and delicious and the pizzas just look great. That's the pizza bagel that I would actually eat. I think we've reached our quota for Frico crust. So I think I think we're good on that for the year. So I'm just letting you know. Well, I already freaked out. We know that. Today's topic is pizza portfolio. Alfred, do you know what a pizza portfolio is? No idea. You just texted me this minutes before we went on. I didn't Google it. I know nothing. I'm going in blind because I'm an irresponsible host. Go ahead. Americans may most famously think about Tony Manero, we've talked about before from Saturday Night Fever, when conjuring up these images of stacked pizza, eating pizza as a street food and on the go. Okay. Neapolitan pizza a portfolio predates that by several hundred years. Do we need the accent? Like, do you think you're Jonathan I'm Capehart a, here? Because I, mean, I don't I'm, think we need the accent. Do you know my last name? Would you know what it is? I mean, no. it's Bovino. Can I not? I can I not means. throw a little Italian on there? You for cannot. A little... It's offensive. Okay. 
So if you've never seen or heard of it, it's a whole Neapolitan pizza, though a bit smaller than the ones typically served in restaurants, and it's folded on itself twice. So in half and then half again. And it takes its name from being folded like a portafoglio, which is Italian for wallet. Uh, it's also known as pizza a libretto, which is a small book. Uh, now, it's, this is reportedly done to make it easier to bite into. It's typically not topped or filled here, rather, very much because that would be harder to fold. Uh, per Gambero Rosso, it's typically available for a few euros at pizzerias, bakeries, and pastry shops. Pre-folded, less sauce. The crust isn't as soft, supposedly, according to my colleague Giuseppe D'Angelo on his Pizza Dixit pizza blog. Only a small cube of Fiordalatte cheese. Do you know what Fiordalatte is, Alfred? No idea. Okay, so that's fresh mozzarella, sweeter and softer than mozzarella di bufala. Fiordalatte latte is flour of the milk. It's made with fresh, unpasteurized and pasteurized cow milk. It tends to have less fat than buffalo mozzarella. And one of the most famous moments for pizza portfolio relevant to Americans may have been when Bill Clinton was photographed eating one in 1994 while in Naples for the G7. Neapolitan writer and journalist Mathilde Serrao uh, explored its origins and is said to have reported confirmation of it back to 1738 by Antica Pizzeria Portalba, reportedly one of Naples' first pizzerias. It's served super hot in a piece of paper. You eat it crust first and work your way to the tip, which in this case is actually the center of the pizza. Now, Alfred, why are we talking about this today? No idea. So Pizza Simo here in New York City posted about it recently, made me think about it. I remember having it uh, in 2009 at Keste when they offered it for a short period of time, reading articles about it now back then. Uh, a Neapolitan pizza. It's truly amazing how much of an alien artifact Neapolitan pizza seemed to be at the time. I don't really dig the portfolio, though. It's just like, it's just, it's so much bread. It's so dense. And I get the idea behind it, but I'm just not that into it. I just Googled it. It looks good. It looks like a pita. The way the, the way it's pictured, it looks like you're, it's like some kind of uh, a, a Greek dish with a pita or something. Oh, looks good to me. I would try it. I mean, it's like bread, 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 folded and like barely sauced kind of inside and no mm. cheese. It's just, it's a lot of bread. I don't know. Thank you so much for listening. What an awesome, jam-packed, massive, massive show. My uh, Our thanks to Bill Oakley the folks at PMQ for their awesome profile of this show. Uh, please support us if you're a fan. Follow us on all the social media garbage. You can follow us individually as well and the show. Please tell your friends if you're enjoying it. That would be super helpful. I'm Arthur Bovino at NYC Best Pizza. Follow the show at Pizza Pod Party and Uni at UniHQ. And remember, a great pie is one you're already thinking about having again before you finish the first slice. Another big show next week. See you then. Make pizza. The Pizza Pod Party. Please rate and review the podcast. The Pizza Pod Party is hosted by Arthur Bovino and Alfred Schultz. Produced by Arthur Bovino and Alfred Schultz. Created by Arthur Bovino and Alfred Schultz. Researched by Arthur Bovino. Engineered, edited, and mixed by Alfred Schultz. Voiced by the fabulous Holly Palmieri. And presented by Uni Pizza Ovens. Visit uni.com. That's O-O-N-I.com to find out more about the world's number one pizza oven brand. And follow Uni on social media at UniHQ on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok.